Good morning, everyone. My name is Noah, and it's an honor to be here talking with you this morning. Who has been enjoying our Denoise series so far? It's been so good. I would just like to honor Pastor Ashley. I love having a leader who is hearing from the Holy Spirit, who is bringing us the Word of God and leading us where He wants to take us and being so sweet and so sensitive to His Spirit and giving away what He's given to her and what He has for us as a church. It's just incredible to be led by somebody who is so integral and in tune with what Jesus is doing and where He's taking His church. I love it that He uses people to build His church and that He is building something that's bigger than any of us, and he's working it to help people, to serve people, and do something bigger. He's got a plan, and this place has been here. Like Pastor Ashton said, I've been coming here since I was in the womb, I think. I don't remember, really, but uh, it's been so cool to see that God has been doing something and has had a plan for people investing in other people's lives and their relationship with him in this place. And I'm thankful for everybody that has brought this house to where it is today. So today we are talking about internal, external voices of anxiety. Uh, In this series, we've been talking about four different sources of potential anxiety, four different voices that we hear in our lives. The first one is our internal voices. Pastor Ashley preached about this last week. These are like our own filters, our own childhood vows, like I will never or I will always, the vows we make as children or our own filters, how we see and perceive the world around us and how we respond to that. So those are internal voices. And second voice are external voices in our lives, external voices, people that we are in relationship with us, talking to us directly. The third is external voices that are kind of outside of us. Like if you're a kid, your parents are fighting, they have their thing going on, but it's causing you anxiety. Right? So those are external voices outside of you. And the fourth are other people's internal voices, their filters, how they perceive the world, how they interpret what's going on, and their own anxieties potentially causing you anxiety. So there's like four voices, four places where anxiety can come from in our lives, internal voices, external voices in our lives, which is also relational anxiety, which is what we're talking about today. And What we want to do with all of these voices is learn to listen to one voice louder than any other voice. In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. I love that. Above every other voice that we might hear in our lives, we want to learn and tune our ear and our spirits to listen to what he is saying. And we've learned that anxiety is a signal. It's like a warning sign that says, hey, Anxiety isn't really great, but pay attention to what's making you feel anxious. Look at that thing with Jesus and discover what is the root of that belief? Where is that voice coming from? What's causing you to feel this way? And when you bring it to him in relationship and you talk to him, he can help us look at that thing and find peace in the midst of anxiety. So today we're talking about external voices, sources of relational anxiety, where we are in relationship with someone and it's a source of anxiety. Tell the person next to you, relational anxiety. Uh, So there's a form of relational anxiety called mixed messages, and it's where you get like two messages that don't sound the same, have different meanings from the same person at the same time. And there's this really cool historical example that I like a lot from the Cold War. JFK is the president, he's with all of his guys, and the Russians are building missiles in Cuba eventually, when they're completed, they could reach anywhere in the East Coast. So it's a really tense moment, 
right? And they're not sure what to do. Nobody's sleeping. They're trying to solve this problem. And they, after like two weeks or something, they get a message from Russia that says, we are going to remove our, muscles, our missiles from Russia, or from Cuba. We're going to remove the missiles from Cuba, and then you won't be in danger anymore of nuclear warfare. So everybody finally takes a deep breath. They sleep well all night long for the first time in like two weeks. Everybody rests easy, and in the morning, they get a second communication from the same people that says, we're not removing our missiles. They'll be ready in a few hours. And so they have two messages coming from the same person that mean two totally different things. And now the anxiety is almost worse than it was before because now what do they believe? What do they do? How do they respond to these mixed messages? And I love what he does in the situation. Kennedy says, let's just ignore the message that we don't want to hear and respond to the message that we do want to hear. And everybody calls him crazy, but they send a message back to Russia that says, thank you for agreeing to remove your missiles. We look forward to it. And then they wait, and Russia removes their missiles. And it's so cool because in the midst of anxiety, we want to look at how do we respond? How do we diffuse the anxiety? How can we come to a solution that's beneficial for everybody? And here's a personal example. For me, I was in college. I did two years at Corning Community College for engineering. And the last semester, I'm in class. All of my classmates are signing up applying to uh, other colleges to get their bachelor's degree and go on to study like a specified engineering field, like engineer, uh, mechanical engineering or chemical engineering. And my professor asks me in the middle of a class, what are you doing next semester? And I said, well, I'm starting an internship at a church and for about a year, don't really know how long it's going to be or what I'm going to be doing. I think something with like some videos and stuff. I'm really excited about it. And she said, that is a terrible idea. You should not do that. She said, you should apply to a school, finish your degree, get a good job, make some money, contribute to the world of engineering. And that causes me some anxiety in this classroom. It was not a private conversation. There's people everywhere, all of my classmates. So now I'm wondering, well, what do they think about me? And I know that she thinks I'm an idiot. So I'm feeling this tension, this anxiety. And I wasn't able to diffuse the anxiety, but her opinions of me, her expectations of me, her advice for me, which isn't bad advice. Lots of people are engineers, and that's great, but for me, I had other plans, and it didn't change my plans. And the key to dealing with relational anxiety is being able to, some extent, to be differentiated from the pressures and the people around us. And differentiation is defined as somebody's ability to define his or her own life goals and values apart from the pressures of the people around you. Let me read that again. Differentiation is a person's ability to define his or her own goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. To allow yourself to be who you are and to not be who you're not, despite external pressures. And it's also, on the other side of that coin, to allow other people to be who they are and not be pressure them to be who they're not, and to be able to maintain a non-anxious presence in the middle of a tense environment, whether it be preventing nuclear war or just a classroom with a professor who has some idea of what they should do, right? 
Because if you aren't differentiated, you have trouble being in relationship with people who have differing opinions than you. And I don't mean just different, like what's the best place to get coffee or who has the best pizza on Market Street, which I think is Aniello's, right? Everybody can agree, best pizza. I mean, I mean like disagreeing with who you are at your core, what you value in your life, what God has as a plan for you, what your convictions are and what you hold as important. Because if you're in relationship with someone who disagrees with you at that level, fundamentally, and you're not differentiated, it causes a lot of anxiety. And we tend to do two things, is to either break off the relationship, like I can't be friends with you if we disagree at this level because there's too much anxiety, or we allow the anxiety to change our direction and our decisions of our life. Jesus He's the ultimate example of being differentiated, which feels like kind of a cheat example because he's perfect and he's God. But when he came to earth, he gave up his godship and he became fully man. So he was fully God, but he was also fully human. In Philippians 2.7, it says, instead he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Which is really cool because he's felt what we felt He's experienced what we've experienced, the pressures, the social pressures, the relational anxiety. He's been in those places. He's been in our shoes, and he knows what that's like. And everybody had expectations on Jesus. I mean, everybody had an idea for who he should be or what he should do while he was here or what his plans should be. And he was differentiated in that he wasn't living to please them. He wasn't living to live up to their expectations because people don't know who you were really created to be. They don't know what's at the core of you. They don't know what makes you unique, what God put inside of you, what makes you tick. They don't know the plans that God has for you and only he knows because he created you. He designed you that way. And if you want to live a fulfilling life, you connect to your creator, to the designer, to the one who has the blueprints and knows who you are and what he designed you for. Come on, it's so good. He wants to help you. He wants your life to be fulfilling. Jesus said this about himself in John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. So Jesus knows that his true value comes from surrendering his will to the will of the father. And he prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. The anchor for who he was came from knowing the God who created him to be what he created him to be. And most of the time, what we do is that we find value in trying to please others. We find value in living up to their expectations and looking for that affirmation, looking for that validation, looking for something that we're needing from other people. Even people with the best intentions, They don't know you. They don't know you like God doesn't. They might have good expectations for your life. Usually the people who have healthy expectations are the ones that want you to succeed the most, but they still don't know you the way that God knows you. Peter Scazzaro wrote in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectation for us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. This is so sad, but it's so true. We put so much value on what other people want for our lives that we rob the world 
of who we were created to be. And we feel anxiety because we can't please people. I mean, we can sometimes please some people, but we can't always please everyone. And the target is always moving. Even from the same people, their expectations might be changing and there's no firm foundation to build our lives on, no ultimate truth. The only place that you can find that is in pleasing God. He's a firm foundation. He's a rock that we can build our lives on. We can trust in him and he never changes. His expectations don't change. His plans don't change. He's good and he's solid. And our goal isn't to disappoint other people. It's not like we're trying to like do our own thing and tell everybody else to go away and we don't really care what you think. But in living for his plans and living in who God created us to be, in being differentiated, we can be okay with sometimes disappointing some people. And we can still relate to those people anxiety-free and say, you know what, even if I disappoint you, I still want to be in relationship with you because my validation and my worth doesn't come from you. And nobody disappointed people more than Jesus did in his life, which is crazy, right? He's a perfect man, the savior of the world. How could he be a disappointment to anyone? Well, his father was a carpenter, and when he became an adult, he got some friends and he traveled around. They weren't even carpenter friends. They were like fishermen and stuff, right? And he taught people. He spent time with people. He didn't carry on the family business, so maybe he was a disappointment to his father. When he tried to go home and tell his hometown that he was the Messiah and who he was and what he was here to do, they took him to a cliff and they tried to push him over. Like, talk about small town problems, right? (laughs) What a disappointment. He had crowds of people following him around all the time. They wanted him to solve all their problems, become the king, overthrow the Romans, help everybody, help the Israelites. And he didn't do any of that. And he knew that that's what they wanted, they knew, he knew those were his, their expectations of him and that he was just going to disappoint them, but he was still able to be in relationship with them and to serve them, to love them, to care for them. And then at the end of his life, they shouted, crucify him, kill him. We hate this guy. And he stood there totally free from anxiety. I love the humanity of Jesus in the garden right before that. He's talking to his father and praying, I don't want to die. This is going to be really hard. And if there's any way for me to not go through with this, but not my will be done, your will be done. He knew it was the best thing for him in his life, for everyone that he loved. Think about Judas, who was one of his 12 best friends, and Judas betrayed Jesus. He obviously had some sort of expectations for who he was that he did not fulfill, so much so that he sold him out. Peter denied Jesus three times. He was one of his 12 best friends, and the rest of his disciples, when Jesus gets captured, they all just deserted him. But through all of it, he didn't hold any of this against them. You know, he didn't take it personally. He wasn't offended at all. He was patient. He diffused anxiety. He loved, and he completed his purpose. And it was hard to go through, but Jesus knew that God's plan for his life would be better on the other side of all that pain than his own ideas and his own plans and other people's plans. And we are still now today enjoying the benefits of relationship with Jesus because of what he went through and the plans that God had for him. We're still enjoying that. And the same goes for us when we connect to who God created us to be. Your life and your purpose is meant for more than just you, but to build and edify and help the people around you as well. And I think we can all relate to Jesus in the way that he disappointed people. Whether it's your parents wanting you to go to like a family business, maybe carpentry, or to go to a certain career path or have a relationship with a certain person or get this job interview or go into that company, you know, or maybe it's 
uh, family who has certain expectations on your time. Like they expect you to come to every family meal every week or your mom wants you to call her twice a day or your friends want you to spend more time with them or your boss needs you to work overtime every single night and they have different expectations on your time or your future or your plans or whatever it might be than what God is saying for your life. Well, you are in good company because Jesus let people down all the time. He wasn't living his life for them. He was more concerned with living a fulfilling life of purpose that God created for him than he was with making everyone happy, which is actually way easier. In Luke 14, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Hold on a second. Rewind. God, who is love, is telling me to hate my family? That seems backwards, right? Jesus, who's always preaching forgive, he says, hate? What's the deal here? Another version replaces this word hate with the phrase refuses to let go of, to love less your family, which makes more sense for what he's saying. In verse 33, he says, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, what people think of you, and kiss maybe their approval, goodbye, you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to kiss people liking you at any cost, goodbye, or to kiss other people's plans for your life, goodbye, or even kissing other people's healthy expectations of you, goodbye. Because even healthy, well-meaning expectations can be opposite or different from what God has for you. And they're not always bad. That's not what I'm saying. Like people's other expectations of you aren't bad. But the Father knows best. He made you. He has plans for you, for the best you, for your best life. And if you aren't willing to let go of all of those other things, then you can't take hold of everything that he has for you and you miss out on the good plans. And the people around you will miss out on who you really are. And living based on other people's expectations causes violence to yourself. And you never get to know who he really made you to be. And Jesus, with this verse, like he's not trying to control everyone with this verse. He's not trying to say, abandon all your relationships, abandon all your friends and your family and sell everything and give it to the poor and just do what I want you to do. It's not like a control thing. He's saying, I made you and I know who you are. I know what I put inside of you. And if you listen to me and live for my approval, you will find your most fulfilling life, your best life, the life that you were born to live. What could be better? Jesus is saying, if you hold on so tightly to pleasing people and controlling how they see you and being okay with yourself only based on what you can earn and how you can get them to love you, then you'll never discover what I have for you. But if you're willing to let all that go, to kiss it goodbye, I will give you life and life to the fullest. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare. The fear of what people might think of you, the fear of disappointing people, the fear of people not liking you, it lays a snare. You get trapped in anxiety, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And Jesus says, you already have my approval. You don't have to do anything to get it. I approve of you. I made you. How could I not? Why would I not approve of my own creation? I made you just the way I wanted to, and I said it is good. It doesn't matter what you do. You are still exactly what Jesus meant to create. And he says, I approve of you, and I love you. And living in that place, in that belief, in that core belief that I'm enough, that I'm loved, that I'm already loved, I'm already taken care of, that he already likes me, that is true differentiation. It's a confidence in God, in our relationship with him, 
and who he made us to be that brings us to a healthy balance of not being so separated from people to avoid their anxiety, but not too close that we get wrapped up in their anxiety. So the two extremes that we fall into, if we're not differentiated, we tend to fall to one extreme or to the other. The first extreme is enmeshment, where we get tied up in other people's emotions and anxiety. And the other extreme is detachment, where we try to separate ourselves from all of that mess. And we all lean towards one of these. And when we do, we experience anxiety. But with Jesus, we can learn to be more differentiated, more a healthy balance between the two. So enmeshment is this dependency on what others think or feel in order to have our own sense of worth or identity. This is allowing everyone to be who God created them to be and not be who they're not. So maybe someone is struggling and comes to you with their situation. They have a problem and they need your help. They come to you to vent or to ask for help. And as they're talking, you find out that their emotions and their anxiety start to spill over into your heart, into your emotions and your anxiety. And you start to pick up on their feelings. And then all of a sudden you find yourself not able to sleep at night because you're thinking of someone else's issues And maybe you're trying to find a solution because if you can find a solution to their problem, then you can be at peace again. You might even be trying harder to find a solution than they are. You're invested and you're burdened and you struggle to find the line where your emotions end and their emotions begin. Maybe your family has even told you, you know, you try to be the hero. You try to take on everyone's problems, but you don't need to do that. People, when we are meshed, we call it empathy or selflessness but it's like an unhealthy extreme. It's an entanglement of emotions. And it causes anxiety because you aren't them. It's not wrong to empathize with people. That's not what I'm saying. Like empathy is really good. It's healthy. But it's it's not wrong to help people with their problems. Jesus did it all the time. It's noble to help people with problems. But at the same time, you aren't God and you can't help everyone with all of their problems always, right? Not even Jesus did that while he was here. So I want to release you from carrying things that you don't need to carry. You don't need to be the savior of the world. Jesus already is that. And he doesn't need your help. He already finished it. He said, it is finished. It's done. He saved the world. Heroes, heroes, you need not apply. He said, it is finished. And helping can be selfless and good, but this is the selfless extreme. This is where their self and their inner problems start to become your problem. And really, you devalue yourself Your self has no value and their self has all the value. Jesus was selfless in service, but he wasn't like completely selfless. He served, but he never lost himself. He had healthy boundaries. And boundaries are actually a really good thing. They help us to thrive. They help others to grow. Sometimes having boundaries with people that we're in relationship with is the most loving and helpful thing that we can do for someone. And he got away to spend time with God, with his father, and to source from him, to build relationship with him. And it was that time with God that fueled his time with people. And it gave him something in his relationship with with God that gave him something to give away to them as he served them. It was vital for his own relationship with his father, and vital for his relationship with people, and vital for his purpose. And he didn't find value in the other people. He didn't find his identity on others he actually was able to serve them better by not finding his identity in them, by not trying to please them all the time. And he didn't need anything in order for him to be okay from them. He was able to go to them and serve, no strings attached. It doesn't matter what they gave him or didn't give him. He was able to pour out from a place 
that was higher than what he could receive from them, pour out of, of a place of relationship with his father and give away what he had. He also had healthy friendships. They could disagree with him and what he was saying, but they could remain friends. Jesus knew that his value was separate from the people that he served. And people came and they went, they loved him and they hated him, and none of that ruined him. He was able to be himself. The other extreme is detachment. This one comes from being afraid to get too close to someone and being swallowed up, avoiding closeness with others completely. Under stress, people who are detached have trouble telling the difference between our feelings and our thought process. And this is the one I lean towards, more towards detachment. Does anyone else lean towards detachment? We're going to talk about it a little more. What about enmeshment? Who feels like they get more enmeshed with people and their feelings? So my default is to want to stay separate from any of that messy stuff. Like, I don't want to tell you the wrong thing or make it worse. I don't want to get mixed up in all that, so I'll just keep my distance. I have my stuff to deal with. I know you have your stuff to deal with, so I'll just do my thing, and you can do yours, right? Anyone relate to that as a detacher? I found that that's like a really lonely way to live, though. I miss out on fun, intimate, life-giving relationships that really make life more valuable and more fun. And we were meant to live life together in community, and detachment doesn't make me better than anyone else. And when we lean towards detachment, we call it normal, we call it level-headed, we call it avoiding all the drama, like that's just drama stuff, and I'm going to avoid that, avoid the gossip. But it's selfish because it devalues people. And Jesus wasn't selfish. He, had, he cried when his friend Lazarus died. He was moved with compassion everywhere he went as he served people and helped them. And he made time for people. Once he was on his way to heal somebody, and he stopped on his way to heal somebody else. At the same time, he didn't make time for every person, every time, all the time. He got away to be with God, even though everyone was looking for him. And hanging on the cross, he made sure that his friend John took care of his mother. He wasn't detached from people and he wasn't enmeshed with them. And I love that in both cases, in both extremes, the healthier thing to do is to get away to spend time with your father and relate to him and source from him. It's not spending so much time with God that you don't have any other time for people and it's not spending no time with people or no time with God, you know, the opposite. It's a healthy in the middle. It's spending time with people and serving them out of a place of healthy relationship with your father. And he had a healthy balance that minded the gap between who he was and who they were. And he sourced from his father. So we have opportunities to choose to be differentiated every day. Opportunities to look at sources of external anxiety and to diffuse the fumes of anxiety in situations. External anxiety can be kind of like if you're sitting in your house and you get a whiff of something like, is that natural gas? You know, like, what's that smell? And you know that feeling of panic that you get like, is our house going to explode? And you start looking around and you're like, nobody light a match. Don't use your cell phones. Nobody touch anybody. There could be a, a spark from the carpet, right? You like start to freak out. And I think you're just supposed to call 911 and get out of your house. But for this example, you look for the source of the natural gas leak. You open some windows, you try to get some fresh air in, you try to diffuse the anxiety. But in a place of relational anxiety, without having the tools to diffuse it, we all carry around this low-level anxiousness, like this thing could blow at any time. And if someone lights a match, we're all in trouble, and then we tend to attack the person with the match and be angry at them, instead of dealing with the source of the leak 
and dispersing this anxiety and coming to a place where we're all in a safer, healthier relationship. So here's a personal example. Me and my wife, we were driving home from the store and we're coming up to an intersection. I'm in the go straight only lane and as we get to the line for the intersection, which is like committed to going straight, right? She asked me, are we turning here? Which is hard because we can both see that I'm going straight and her question does not match our reality. Has anyone ever been in a situation like that before? Anxiety fills the car, everything gets tense, you can feel it in the air. Well, I'll tell you the rest of the story in a little bit and take a look at what I should have said. But first, <laughs> but first let's take a look at how Jesus dealt with situations like this. In Matthew 12, 46, he was still talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers showed up. They were outside trying to get a message to him. And someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are out here wanting to speak to you. So he's talking to people. He's serving people. He's connecting to them. He's doing what he was created to do. And his family comes and they want to talk to him about something different. Enter anxiety, right? He can't go out to be with them because he's in here talking to them. He can't talk to two people at once. So they're reality, their actions don't match his reality. In a state of anxiety, we would probably just strike up a match and make it worse. Maybe we'd like stand up and stomp out and like shout across everyone like, hey mom, leave me alone. I'm doing something with my friends. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, you could just miss out on your purpose completely, try to meet their expectations, go out and talk to them and leave everyone else behind. And they're not bad or unrealistic expectations which makes it feel like, you know, it's not so bad for them to do, but it was different than what he was doing. Jesus was about his father's business. And he remains calm. He demonstrates differentiation. In verse 48, Jesus didn't respond directly, but said, who do you think my mother and brothers are? He then stretched out his hand toward his disciples. Look closely. These are my mother and brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly father's will is my brother and sister and mother. Which is essentially the same message that he's giving to us in Luke when he says we are to love our family less. He has this intense focus on his value coming from the approval of his father. And if our worth comes from who he created us to be and not the opinions of others, then we're able to name anxiety, find the source, and to diffuse it. Dealing with relational anxiety can sometimes just be as simple as recognizing that you're in it so that you can name it because naming it flips that power dynamic. And when you have the power, you can pause and reflect on your options. And I don't mean the power dynamic over the person you're in relationship with, but over the anxiety that is trapping you in the situation. So Jesus, he names that dynamic and he pointed out that what they wanted from him his family, his identity, his purpose. You know, he's like, I get that from my father, not from people. And he flips the power dynamic of the anxiety. He addresses the anxiety in a nice way and he continues with his mission. He sticks to his core and his purpose and he even uses the situation as a teaching tool. When you feel anxiety, you have trouble thinking. It's like, I have to make a decision right now. The room is tense. This could blow at any moment. I feel it, but I can't quite think straight because of this anxiety. Has anyone ever felt that before? You guys know what I'm talking about. So let's go back to the example. In the car, I'm with my wife, Rochelle. We're going straight. She asks if we're turning. We're in anxiety, which wants to respond quickly and maybe 
give the silent treatment, like just totally shut down, shut her out. Maybe make a sarcastic remark, a rude comment, or take offense. Sarcasm might sound like, yep, we are definitely turning here. Here we go, turning left. Watch us turn, watch out everybody as we go straight, right? Sarcasm. You're laughing because you know. (laughs) You might just get mean and say something like, open your eyes, I'm going straight. It's hurtful and insensitive. Or we get offended, like, I think I know how to get home to my own house. Do you think I'm stupid? It's not that hard. I can get home. We're going straight here. Ouch. What I should have said was, I'm going to go straight through this intersection. What do you think that we should do? Is, is it faster to turn here? Maybe we could turn at the next intersection. Just have a normal conversation about it, right? What I did say was nothing. And my mind raised through all of those examples of what not to say and those anxiety responses, and I weighed my options. But then, then I had an epiphany. Relational anxiety. Rochelle, you just put us in relational anxiety. This is great. Maybe I can use it in my message. <laughs> she was not as excited as I was. But she did give me permission to use this story because we can all relate to this fighting in the car, to these relational anxiety, to the feeling of that tension, right? And anxiety clouding our ability to respond well and to diffuse the tension. We know what that feels like. And some other relational anxiety that you might be familiar with are mixed messages, like we talked about before, sarcasm, passive aggression. And mixed messages are hearing two different messages at the same time from somebody. So let's take a look at a few examples and we'll just stay in the car and imagine some scenarios that maybe you've heard or you've said something like this before and mixed message would be like, hey, can you turn up there? I would love some coffee. And then, you know, as you approach, no, never mind. It's fine. I don't need coffee. I don't want it. Wait a minute. Which is it? Do you want coffee or don't? Just tell me what you want. And you have that tension, that anxiety. Like, what do, we, what do I do here? I feel like I lose either way. Sarcasm is a form of mixed messages. When someone says something nice, but it has bite, it sounds mean, right? So it's two conflicting messages from the same person. It's like, thanks for pumping the gas. You know how much I hate it. Maybe on the rest of the drive, you can just sleep too. That would be great. Thanks for nothing. Ouch. Passive aggression could sound like, sure, we can drive to the store right now, even though I'm really tired. That would be awesome. I would love to go to the store. This is like passive-aggressive, right? One useful tool to help with those is to just receive the message, like in the example of the cold word, that you want to, and then ask for clarity. And sometimes it could be the nice message or it could be the hurtful message, but the goal is to put the burden of communication back on the person. Asking sweetly for clarification is like what Pastor Ashley talked about last week. It assumes the best. And it lets the other person determine what their meaning will be. It gives them a moment to slow down and be honest about where they're at. To talk about maybe your feelings and your emotions and what you're really going through rather than just to say something and create anxiety. Maybe you could say something like, when you said that, it hurt my feelings. Is that what you meant to do? Was that your intention? Which sounds so simple and mature, right? Like talking through these scenarios, we would all say like, yeah, that's, that's easy. I could do that. That's a mature response. That's how you would respond. But usually when I go back and think about these responses that I have in the middle of relational anxiety, I'm like, well, I was so childish. I can't believe I responded like that. I thought I was more grown up than that or more mature than that. Like, I can't believe I responded like that. But it's usually because we're feeling insecure. We have some need 
that is not being met from relationship with our Father, and we're looking for that need to be met from somebody else. And because we're not getting it from them, we respond in childish, explosive ways because we're not getting our way. We have needs that aren't being met. But if we aren't living for the approval of others, or if we aren't living from a place where we need their validation because we're getting it from Jesus, if we don't find your value and identity from what they think, then we're not trapped in these anxious situations where we don't know what to do or how to respond and we can't think clearly. Finding our identity in him and being differentiated allows us to think clearly, to pause, flip the power dynamic, diffuse the fumes, diffuse the anxiety, and maybe even help yourself and to help other people see that what they really need and what they're lacking can be sourced from Jesus. And true, free, true freedom is found in knowing yourself and where your worth comes from. And that differentiation only comes from relationship with Jesus. And if you live from the foundational core belief that he approves of you, that he likes you, that he loves you, that you're enough, that you have a specific purpose for your life and he can help you and he wants to help you find out what that is, then we don't form other beliefs that come from unfulfilled needs. We aren't trapped in the belief that we need others to love us. The belief that they don't right now, so we have to earn their love. Or that people don't like me and I need to change who I am so that they can like me more. The belief that I'm not enough, I have to try harder to be enough, or I'm not important, I need to do more so that I can be important to somebody. And living from that place of lack means we're constantly living in a place of internal anxiety. And that leaves us incapable of dealing with any sources of external anxiety. So if we solve the internal problem and we find out who we are in Jesus, who he made us to be, discover how much he loves us, we live from a place of peace and we are okay. We're okay with ourselves. We're okay with where we're at. And if you'd like to experience that peace, if you're tired of always trying to live up to others' expectations or maybe just exhausted of trying to figure out what everybody's expectations are, if you just want to rest and be okay in who you are, if you're tired and burned out on the religion of trying to find love in your own strength and in doing the right things to get other people to love you, just come to Jesus. Everything that you're looking for is already accomplished in him. And all you have to do is receive it and believe it and start to listen to his voice in that area. If you'd like to start a relationship with the one who made you, the one voice that wants to and can help you figure out who you were created to be, it's as simple as saying, everything that I heard, I believe it. I receive what you have for me. I've received this relationship. I receive your love. I receive your designs for my life. I receive your plans and I trust you. And it's really trusting him with our needs instead of trying to trust ourselves or other people with our needs.